0: Welcome to America's favorite wellness hour, Healthy by Nature, with certified clinical nutritionist Marty Whittakin.
1: Hi, I'm Marty Whittakin. When I researched my new book on aloe vera, I learned why. When you drink aloe vera it helps so many complaints. Everything works better if the body has improved nutrient absorption, better antioxidant support and fewer toxins. Studies show that there's a great deal of difference among aloe brands. The magic of aloe vera is in its solids and unfortunately too many companies damage them with improper filtration, heat and enzymes. Distilled aloe tastes like water because it's lost all of those beneficial solids. I chose Lily of the Desert as a sponsor because they do the
2: there's an important difference between a low price and a good value for example a cheap vitamin supplement becomes expensive if it doesn't work nutrition expert bill sardi wanted to have a multivitamin that reflected the latest science that meant better absorbed forms of essential vitamins and crucial minerals like zinc and selenium in the doses that studies showed were beneficial he could not find that in stores so had to design one molecular multi it is so complete that most people can save money by cutting several bottles out of their supplement program
0: Subscribe to Marty's free newsletter at the Healthy by Nature show website, hbnshow.com, hbnshow.com.
1: if that helps. Okay. Well, this is going to be very weird. Sorry about that. The first segment, I hope we didn't lose everybody. Um, I'm going to repeat a little bit of what I said since nobody heard it. The last two weeks on Saturday, it was a holiday and, uh I imagine a lot of people were otherwise occupied, but they were really important shows, so I hope you will go to the archives and listen to both Christmas Day when Dr. Tom Levy was on talking about the nebulizer and the hydrogen peroxide as preventive and treating for COVID. He also covered some really important information about vitamin C. And then on New Year's Day, Peter McCullough, MD, kindly came into the studio and brought us up to date on the truth about all of the issues that are swirling around the pandemic that will never end, apparently. Um, And poor guy, he's done a wonderful, courageous job saving lives by getting people uh, treatment before early treatment so that they stay out of the hospital and don't die from the disease because the government suppressed the information about treatments that actually work, that doctors in the field are using and saving lives. And for his efforts, he's being punished just severely. He was fired from Texas A&M as a professor and a big medical system sued him for a million dollars just because his name was in some places associated with theirs. His lawyer bills alone are a small fortune. Well, for most of us, it'd be a large fortune. And so somebody kindly set up a Christian fundraising page for him, and I've put links to that in the archive of today's show and the New Year's Day show. So please do what you can to help. Uh, even at 5 or $10, if enough people contributed, it would add up and offset the the severe penalties that he's suffering for his family. So um, I'm excited about today's show because I've had Mark Schatzker on before with his previous book, The Dorito Effect, which I read cover to cover and enjoyed immensely. His new one is called The End of Craving, Recovering the Lost Wisdom of Eating Well, and it's fascinating. So, Mark, I think we're finally on the air here. Are you with us?
3: I am with you. Thanks
1: okay. for having me. Well, great. Um, just to tell people a little bit more about you, you are not just a masterful storyteller. You're also a rigorous researcher, an award-winning writer, and you're a writer-in-residence at the Modern Diet and Physiology Research Center at Yale University. So that's pretty serious. You are a frequent contributor to a lot of different media and we're glad that you made time for us today so we have
0: it's great to be here
1: for the last couple of weeks and way too many weeks over the last two years we've talked about covid so we're kind of taking a break from that but it's still related because as dr mccullough explained in detail last week If you're fat, you create more inflammation and the inflammation going out of control is what really gets people from the disease. So uh, if we can tell people how to not be fat, then that would be a very good thing for a whole bunch of different reasons, including immune function. And um, one of the key New Year's resolutions for people is usually surrounding weight loss. And the joke goes... Last year, my New Year's resolution was to lose 10 pounds. I've only got 15 more to go, and it's because the diets don't really work, Uh, and there are a lot of myths surrounding. uh, We've gone back and forth, uh, seesaw about whether it's fat or carbs and so on, and we'll dig into that a little bit, but you have a very optimistic approach encouraging that, uh, we can find a way to have be satisfying delicious food and not get caught up in those um, nutrient wars what um what led you to this is just an extension of the dorito effect where you
3: yeah it is it you no know, it, it very much is and, and you know for people who maybe haven't read it or, or forgotten that um or have you know read it in the wild the dorito effect really looked at how you know, we food has changed through the lens of flavor. Um, we tend to be so nutrient-focused, particularly in North America. We, we we kind of go go on as though we're wearing a white lab coat. We talk about protein and vitamins. And, of course, these things are true. But that's not how we evolve to eat. We, we have a sensory system. We taste food. We experience flavor. We experience taste. And even if you're on a diet, um, every time we sit down to eat, we have the expectation of enjoyment of flavor. And yet we talk in this abstract, nutritional, scientific mode. And The Doreal Effect really looked. It basically said it's it's quite simple. Wholesome food is getting bland and junk food is getting more flavorful. And that really tells you a lot about what's going on. This book, I sought to dig even deeper into exactly how that is distorting how the brain eats. Um, we tend to think that the brain is kind of, you know, evolved in the stone age that our eating, pro, our eating program, our appetite is... Primitive, and it's really very different. And um, and this book, I just want to understand exactly what's going on. And it's not just a simple uh, question of, you know, we're being, you know, given food that's too tasty or um, too reinforcing. It, it's really distorted the very way the brain perceives food and manages body weight, manages its kind of calorie budget. Um, it, it's really messed things up. As we can see, when we look at the, you know, the epidemic of obesity, obviously we have a massive eating problem, and it, I trace it to how the brain understands food and how we've distorted and disturbed that.
1: And it seems that every time the government gets involved and makes a new big proclamation about what we should do, we get fatter. So we need to dig deeper and look at what the research is really telling us. My first clue along the lines of what you're talking about is that the uh, studies that have been done on artificially sweetened uh, beverages, the diet sodas um, because it it seems to short circuit the system where something tastes sweet we expect it to do something in our bodies and it doesn't and so we keep wanting more and more is that an example of what we're talking about
3: yeah, that, that really is. And that's, um, that's now there's a term for that. It's called nutritional, a uh, nutritive mismatch. And, and, you know, let's really get into that because it's a fascinating body of work. So I want to talk about some research that a, um, a scientist at Yale University, Dana Small, did. Um, and it was interesting. She, she, she spent basically to see if, if this could work. Could we design beverages that, you know, taste sweet but deliver fewer calories, which we kind of think would be a good idea if we can satisfy that sweet urge but get fewer calories? Is that a good thing? And it's, it's a difficult question. How do you test that? And what she did was she designed five drinks. She used an artificial sweetener so that they all tasted equally sweet. But then she used a, um, a flavorless carbohydrate called maltodextrin so that each drink had a different caloric payload. I'm hearing some
1: music. Sounds like we're going to stop for a break. Music, yeah. And I'm going to go back to my regular microphone now that we figured out what the problem is and I can see where we are on time. So hang with us. We'll be right back. Thanks, folks, for your patience today.
4: Now, more than ever, it is important to have a healthy immune system. Many health professionals agree that probiotics are a leading natural therapy for boosting immune health.
1: It takes several factors to create cancer. That's why it just makes sense to treat the disease with a variety of therapies. Whatever you decide about mainstream medicines, typical surgery, chemo, and radiation, you should know that the Kasanas Institute has many powerful tools in their toolbox. For example, natural ways to support your immune system, specialized detoxification programs, and a personalized nutritional plan. If chemotherapy is right for your case, the Kassanis Institute also offers a gentler approach. Low-dose chemotherapy delivered in a smart way that targets the cancer cells more than your healthy cells. Their approach is individualized to you and your type of cancer to provide effectiveness and reduced side effects. At the Kassanis Institute, an experienced care manager will guide you and coordinate options. Don't you deserve a doctor that uses the best of modern science and ancient wisdom? Link from hbnshow.com or call 817-481-6342.
5: Now we can do as most animals do. Maintain levels of vitamin C without continual reliance upon dietary or supplemental sources of vitamin C. This is revolutionary. Vitamin C works by pouring electrons on unbalanced atoms to counter potentially destructive oxygen and nitrogen-free radicals. Instead of taking vitamin C pills all day long, similar to using a fire extinguisher over and over, Formula 216 does this 24-7, akin to an internal fire sprinkler system continually pouring electrons on the free radical fire. That makes Formula 216 the world's first stress-responsive vitamin C pill, rapidly elevating vitamin C levels in response to biological or mental stress. Now you can do what animals do. Upgrade to Formula 216, the world's first 24-7 vitamin C pill. Call 833-848-2216. That's toll-free, 833-848-2216 for 24-7 vitamin C protection. That's 833-848-2216.
0: Dr. Here's Probiotics has been a proud sponsor of the Healthy by Nature show for well over a decade.
1: My guest, and hopefully now you can hear me, that high-tech problem we had uh, at the end turned out to be not so high-tech. Somewhere. Down at the source, somebody had unplugged the microphone. I don't know whether that was the FDA, um, the CDC. Somebody unplugged my microphone. (laughs) Um, My guest, Mark Shasker, is the author of The End of Craving, Recovering the Lost Wisdom of Eating Well. Uh, A lot to unpack just in that title. Previous book that I loved was The Dorito Effect, The Surprising New Truth About Food and Flavor. And before that one, I haven't read about steak, finding the ideal uh, meat. So he he writes uh, sort of like a food writer, uh, travel blogger. Uh, so it's really interesting, but there's enough science in here to satisfy the those that really want to know that we're. We're not talking fantasy here. We're talking facts. Mark, you were telling us about this. I think you said it was at Yale, this study of the yeah. different beverages. Uh, just go over that real yeah. quickly again and and what they found
3: out. Yeah, so so she she um, was looking at um, artificial sweeteners, and, and she so she created five drinks. They all tasted equally sweet. But they all had a different caloric payload. So one had zero, and it went right up to 148. And what she, she gave these drinks to subjects, and, she, and they you know, drank them over a period of days so the brain could learn, could learn about them because the, the brain you know, analyzes what we eat. It's called post-ingestive learning. And what she expected that when she put them in the brain scanner, she thought the high-calorie drink would generate the biggest brain response. And the response is really odd. It was the 75-calorie drink that got the biggest, the biggest response. It was so weird. She did it over again. She thought she screwed it up. Happened again. So then she puts her subjects into an indirect calorimeter. This measures the thermic effect of food. When you, when you consume calories, your body starts to work to metabolize them and it generates heat. And once again, she thought the high calorie drink is gonna generate the biggest plumus of, of heat. Um, and once again, it was a 75 calorie drink and she couldn't figure what was going on. And then she realized what was going on. The, 70, the, the drink that generated the biggest brain response and the biggest metabolic response was the drink where the calories matched the flavor so the drink was created to taste like it had 75 calories and it had 75 calories. When this was out of when it was mismatched, when this was out of sync, the brain did not metabolize it. So this is really disturbing. You're putting nutrients in your body that are not getting metabolized. They just sort of float around. This has implications for um, insulin resistance, for for diabetes. She did a she did this test with adolescents, and they had to stop the study early because three two they they drew blood from three subjects, and two had already become pre-diabetic. So this is a massive finding because we tend to regard taste and flavor as this kind of frivolous sensation that's disconnected from nutrition. We think nutrition is nutrients getting in the stomach and getting in the body, and what this tells us is that the way food tastes the experience of eating is absolutely essential this is the brain getting information about the nutrients that are entering the body so then we ask a deeper question which is that when the brain starts to get full when sweetness no longer is reliable what happens because let's remember this is a recent phenomenon for for the duration of our species existence from you know when we evolved from our predecessors sweetness never told a lie. You might have to fight to get that sweet fruit. There's a panther wants to eat you. You might get into a fist fight, But when you got that sweet fruit, the sweeter it was, the more calories it has. Now sweetness can mean anything. It might mean a lot of calories, might mean very few calories. So this creates what's called an uncertainty response. Another term for it is reward prediction error, which is to say the brain thinks it's getting something, tastes sweet, but calories don't arrive in the stomach. What does that do? It causes a rise in motivation. This is a classic psychological response. It's why we gamble. It's why we place bets on sporting events. Because when we are, when we are faced with uncertainty, we are motivated to, to act, to, to work hard. Because in evolution, this is how we made sure we didn't lose out. It's, it's what guaranteed our survival. But in our food environment, it makes us eat more. And this is what we see when we look at brain scans of people with obesity. They don't enjoy food more. The stigma is that they lose themselves in pleasure. They don't know when to say enough is enough. And that's absolutely wrong. What we see is that when they see a picture of a milkshake, for example, a pizza or a cheeseburger, they experience a profound craving for it. When they eat it, it's it's kind of like it's just unsatisfying. If anything, their pleasure response is blunted. So what we've done is created a food environment where we've muddled the signals that the brain gets about nutrition. And I talk about artificial sweeteners, but that's just one additive. There's a huge family of additives called fat replacers. And they're like the fat version of an artificial sweetener. When you see things like light salad dressing or diet this or low fat this, they're using fat replacers. It makes food taste rich and creamy, delivers fewer calories, and this confuses the brain. And so much of the food we eat has been deliberately engineered to give the brain false information about the nutritional content.
1: I'm reminded of an old old advertising slogan, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And there's consequences. And there's kind of a hubris thing because, you know, we think we're so smart. um, And the truth is we really don't understand how the brain eats. You know, the appetite comes from, from deep within us. We don't have a choice about when we get hungry or what we like to eat. And we carry on as though we have, you know, full control. And the truth is that we don't. And we have to respect. Um, we have to respect food and the complexity of food and how we evolve to eat.
1: Well, if we look back on the fairly recent history of decades, where fat was demonized, and then uh, Gary Tubbs uh, wrote that amazing article in the New York Times Magazine called "What If It's All Been a Big Fat Lie," and the Government, in their infinite wisdom, created um, with the help of a lot of lobbyists, a food pyramid that put the base full of bread pasta chips and and fruit juice and things like that and i I remember very clearly that when they um, did that, fat's bad, so anything that's low fat is good, and there were actually Tussles in the aisle of the grocery stores over the last package of snack well cookies that would taste, you know, would make you think you were eating a normal cookie. But the fat part of it was replaced if if not with a fat replacer, but probably also with a lot of sugar to amp up the flavor.
3: Yeah, and, and it's so interesting how eager we are that we're constantly embracing these these newfangled technologies. We're so certain that our own inclinations are wrong, and and that's wrong. I mean, it, it's funny, you, you know. We look back at our. You think in the 1950s, people are eating meat and potatoes, and boy, they knew nothing. Well, they knew a lot more. They were much healthier than we are. Um, it, it, it's really interesting to see how how suspicious we are of food, um, and and how we're constantly trying to alter it, and, and it's, it's you know, it's clearly not working. The track records, yeah. Well, you
1: go on these diets, and uh, almost any diet is effective in the beginning because you're paying attention to the food, and you're probably just generally eating less. But six, to eight months later, the weight comes back, and usually with more than what they had before. Um, yes. One of the things, and, and this is you, the brain. One of the things that you said I thought was really interesting that in overfeeding experiments, people have trouble gaining weight. How can that be?
3: Yeah. Well, so this is the thing. You know, we talk about dieting. And there's this idea that you can just control it. Like, like, you, like the way you steer your car left or right, I can control my body weight. And it's wrong. Brain controls your body weight the same way it controls your blood temperature. You know, you can't you know, mentally raise or lower your, blood temp- your, your, your core temperature. Um, so we know this because when we go to diet, it works at first. But then, you know, like you said, well, I'll get back to this after, after the break.
1: My guest is Mark Schatzker, the author of The End of Craving. Uh, we're finding out that we eat with our brains as well as with our taste buds in our stomach. And hopefully we're going to put this all back together into a plan that will get us on the right track and reconnect our eating habits with reality and, uh, His book is very readable and fun. I'm not all the way through it yet, but I'm enjoying it immensely. There's a link to the book in the description of the show in the archives today's date, January 8th. We'll be right back.
0: At half past the hour, you are tuned to Healthy by Nature with certified clinical nutritionist Marty Whittakin.
6: You remodel your kitchen, you remodel your bathroom. Now remodel your gut. That's right, your gut. During a three-year fermentation process, Dr. O'Hara's probiotics create healthy, organic nutrients and the diversity of flora that are necessary for long-term digestive health. So remodel your gut today with the right workers. Get Dr. O'Hara's probiotics online as well as vitamin shop, whole foods, sprouts, and natural health retailers nationwide today.
7: In an era of censorship, there are things you just can't say these days. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be free again? But just the thought of getting older and having to take all those prescription drugs. I'm Bill Sardi, formulator of Longevinix, which we now call the nothing pill. Wouldn't you like to be 50 and wake up 25 years later and feel the same? To age chronologically but not biologically? A recent report says Americans have expanded their lifespan but now need to expand their health span to have your genes reprogrammed to be healthy instead of inheriting the maladies of your grandparents, to look in the mirror 15 years after you began taking Longevinex, the red wine pill, and realize you've barely aged at all. In fact, a Longevinex user reports a test of his biological age was 20 years below his calendar age. A recent study says a widely used prescription drug can now expand the human health span, but resveratrol, The key ingredient in Longevinix works up to 200 times better than that prescription drug. I think of my own experience. Now 76 years after birth, my eyesight is 20-20. My optometrist examined the back of my eyes to find no cholesterol deposits that 91% of people my age have. But we are silenced. Our lips must remain sealed. Our overlords restrict what we can say about Longevinix to almost nothing. And that's why we now call it the nothing pill. What we can't say about Longevinix speaks loudly. In the 1600s, it was physician Thomas Fuller who said, disease is felt, but health not at all. Wouldn't it be great to feel nothing again? Longevinix, the nothing pill. Call 866-405-4000. That's 866-405-4000 for Longevinix, the nothing pill.
0: Healthy by Nature is sponsored in part by HealthWorksMart.com.
1: That commercial reminds me that Bill Sardi will be on next week. Um, My guest, Mark Schatzker, we're talking about how we have sabotaged our connection with food by allowing technology and uh, things that may seem unconnected have short-circuited our ability to know what the brain wants when it says we're hungry or craving, and we're going to separate those two concepts here shortly. Uh, before we went to the break, I had to ask you about how it could be given that the bottom line, and no matter what diet is the diet du jour, the dietitians always come out and say, well, the bottom line is it's calories in, calories out. And, of course, the insulin model said, no, it's what you do with the calories, and and there are issues like somebody has low thyroid, their metabolism just doesn't work normally. But it isn't that simple. How could in an experiment where they overfed people, could they possibly not gain weight?
3: Yes, and that's it. Um, So they've done overfeeding studies. They've been doing them for decades. Um, And the truth is, it's really hard to do a successful overfeeding studies. It doesn't work with the rodents. They don't want to eat. You've got to force feed them. And then when you stop force feeding them, they lose the weight. And with humans, it was so hard. They tried it with college students. didn't work. They had to go to a prison in Vermont in the 1950s and get prisoners. And even the prisoners, they couldn't stand it. So overfeeding is like going, it's like starving. It's the, It's the kind of opposite. People start to just absolutely dread the mere thought of food. And what's so interesting is that they don't seem to gain enough weight given how many calories they're consuming. And then when the experiment ends, the weight drops off. So the, the brain is defending something like a set point. It has a body weight in mind. So this whole idea that our, you know, our brain is, is, is sort of out of control and unhinged and, and wants to s- constantly stuff its face, not true. Um, this is a more recent phenomenon. something's gone wrong but we were not designed to overeat. There would have been massive penalties in evolution. How can you outrun a predator if you're overweight? How can you catch prey if you're overweight? Think of all the injuries back when we had to be, you know, we're constantly moving, you know, gathering food and so forth. If you're carrying a great deal of extra weight, you're going to get injured. So so uh, what's happened? Something has altered the way the brain perceives its relationship with food, and it's key to understand this because, This whole idea that, you know, we can just control it by counting calories and so forth is is wrong, and and we have to understand it on a deeper level.
1: There was a thought that uh, the weight gain was a survival mechanism because you were protected then in case of a famine. So if you have a sluggish metabolism where you take in the food and you store it instead of burn it, that's preparing you to weather the... The famine, but that's not proven yeah. to be true either. I right? don't
3: think that's true. I think that's a nice story that we told ourselves. I think the truth is, um, you know, maybe carrying a little bit of extra weight, but, but um, here's the thing we have to understand is calories were scarce. And everyone says, oh, that's the reason we, we wanted to hoard them. But here's the problem. When you're carrying a great deal of extra weight, it's like driving a really big car. It takes more calories to move that body around. It's extremely inefficient. So in an environment where calories were at a premium, it doesn't make sense to carry extra weight because you have to eat much more just to get around, just to do your day-to-day living. So I, I think that's a nice story that we tell ourselves, and I just don't think it's true.
1: Uh, help us understand the difference between wanting and liking. Uh, we're, we're talking here about also maybe the difference between being hungry and having an appetite for something and craving it. Sort that out for yes. us.
3: No, it, this is really important. Um, this, this comes down to the neurochemistry of pleasure. And many of us have probably heard of the, uh, the neurotransmitter called dopamine. And there still kind of lingers this belief that dopamine is pleasure. That's what the scientists thought for many decades. But then um, many years ago, a scientist named Kent Barrett started to challenge this. And what he found um, is, is he would suppress dopamine in rats. He would fire sugar water into their mouth, and they would still make these... Um, these, these, these facial expressions of enjoyment, they would stick their tongue out, they would lick their paws. And what he found over time is that dopamine, in fact, is not pleasure. It's motivation. It's part of kind of, you know, the, the pleasure cycle. We're motivated to consume something we like and then we enjoy it. But it turns out there's two distinct neural circuits that mediate this. So dopamine is the neurotransmitter that mediates desire. And this is important, you know, in nature. You need to be, a, you know, you need to find and get what you want. And and this is the system that, that, you know, controls that. But then there's another system, um, which is mediated by the opioid neurotransmitters. And that is liking that is the pleasure impact moment. That's when you put the food in your mouth, and you think, oh, my goodness, this tastes amazing. And it's really important to know this, first of all, because I think it can help us understand our own relationship with food. um, Because sometimes foods make us want to eat, but they don't actually satisfy us. But it also helps to understand what's going on because, like I said, when we look at the uh, brain scans of people with obesity or with binge eating disorder, they don't enjoy food more. They want it more. And I think this is kind of um, th- this is the diagnosis of our problem in general, that um, we are enthralled to foods that don't truly satisfy us. And, um, and it, it's, it's repairing that broken relationship that I think is so key to, to A, understanding what's wrong and making it better.
1: Uh, let's talk a little bit about Italy and what the diet is like there. We keep hearing about the Mediterranean diet, but it's always analyzed in terms of, well, what fatty acids are they getting, uh, how much protein versus carb and that kind of thing. But there's something else at work, right?
3: Well, it yeah, and I mean, I visited Northern Italy and it was a life-changing experience and it tells us so much that we're getting wrong. Um, we have the suspicion of pleasure in North America. There's statements like, if it tastes good, spit it out. In yes. well, Northern Italy, um, I I spent some time in Bologna and it, it's like going down the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. It will completely change everything you've ever thought about eating and food. They are food obsessed in Bologna. It is one of Italy's foremost culinary epicenters. At the Chamber of Commerce, They have an official repository of recipes. These are the official recipes to say, if you're going to make this dish, you must make it this way. Imagine, this is like a governmental institution that's obsessed with recipes. They have a noodle. Their their favorite noodle is called a teletella. They have it cast in gold. It is like the official, perfect, platonically exquisite noodle. We've been waging a war on pasta now for 20 years. These people love pasta. I met Italians that eat pasta every single day. They fetishize their enjoyment of food. They love it. Uh, We travel to Italy by the plane load just so we can eat what they're eating. And they do not eat a Mediterranean diet in Northern Italy. They eat pasta, they eat eggs, they eat cream, they eat meat. And when we come back, I'm gonna tell you the stunning truth about how much they weigh.
1: And bread, um, you know, some nice crusty bread along with the pasta. You're making me hungry. Oh yeah, lots of bread. Yeah, we're going to be right back with Mark Schatzker. You can link to his book, The End of Craving, Recovering. See if I get right. I put the put down the. Okay, Recovering the Lost Wisdom of Eating Well. There's a link to that and a link to the Dorito Effect, which is a lot of fun both in the archive of today's show at hbnshow.com. From the menu, select Listen. You'll see Archives. You go to Today's Date, and there you have it. A lot more to come, and we're going to talk about chocolate.
2: Wouldn't you like to eliminate bacteria, odors, dust, pollen, pet dander, and other allergens from the air in your home and office?
1: Every home and office should have one, and it would make a terrific gift. Who doesn't at least occasionally have a sore throat or stiff joint, congested sinuses, a rash or injury? You might just want to strengthen your eyes or ears. Save with the code HBN lamp. Click products on the menu of the hbnshow.com website for details or call Phil at 626-200-8454. 626-200-8454.
2: People who regularly drink coffee or tea, consume sugary foods, and in particular drink wine, beer, or spirits, and people who take antacid or diuretic water pills deplete their body of vitamin B1, also known as thiamine. Symptoms of vitamin B1 deficiency can include headaches, chronic cough, racing heart, constipation or diarrhea, non infectious fever, crippling weakness and pain, difficulty walking or talking, loss of smell and taste, breathlessness, loss of hunger, sweating, tingling in hands and feet, memory problems, and more. The answer to these problems is vitamin B1 in the preferred fat soluble form provided in Nerve Guardian. It is the new dietary supplement from Lifespan Nutrition. Nerve Guardian provides 10 times more vitamin B1 than the best diet. Buy one bottle of Nerve Guardian and get a second bottle free. That's a full eight month supply for just $3.12 per month. Call Lifespan Nutrition today and ask for Nerve Guardian. Call 800 247 5731. That's 800 247 5731.
0: Subscribe to Marty's free newsletter at the Healthy by Nature Show website, hbnshow.com. Hbnshow.com.
1: We're talking with Mark Schatzker about his fascinating book, The End of Craving Recovering the Lost Wisdom of Eating Well. And when we went to break, we were talking about the, the delicious foods they eat in northern Italy, which makes it such a popular tourist destination. You were going to fill us in on their. Their are uh, weight statistics.
3: Yeah, so, so you'd think that if, if all this delicious food was our undoing, you'd expect that the Northern Italians would be the plumpest in the world. They're among the thinnest. The rate of obesity in Northern Italy is less than 8%. In the United States, this was before the pandemic, 42%. So this is telling us something really important, that these two nutrients we've been waging war on, carbs and fat, are not our undoing. But more importantly, it tells us how important it is have a positive relationship with food. That The pleasure we take in eating is essential to a healthy relationship with food. We can't repress that, repress that relationship. We have to celebrate it.
1: Um, I mentioned earlier about the food pyramid that didn't do us any favors, but a couple of other government-type interventions I'd like for you to comment on. The Yale study about the effect of posting calorie information next to restaurant menu items and also food fortification with vitamins.
3: Yeah, so, so you know, these calorie numbers we think are helping us. What we've seen in studies is that um, if you see the calorie count next to menu, in the short term, people will tend to order lower-calorie things, but then the brain kicks in. Um, later that night, they snack more. Um, and over the long term, people tend to eat the same amount of calories. It's kind of obvious. We've had these numbers now for many, many years, and we, we continue to eat more. Even more interesting is our, our policy of enrichment and fortification. So enrichment, basically, the government forces grain millers to add B vitamins to flour, um, and uh, there's also voluntary fortification. We put them in energy drinks, breakfast cereals. They're, they're in everything. The B vitamins are involved in energy metabolism. So essentially, if you just consume calories on their own, they're inert. They won't do anything. You need the B vitamins to metabolize them. And um, when we look at livestock diets, adding B vitamins to livestock feed was what made factory farming possible. It's what made us fatten animals ultra quickly. They call it optimal weight gain in livestock, In the livestock world. Well, that's what we've done to our own processed carbs. By law, we have to add these B vitamins to flour, corn flour, grits, um, white rice. And we're supercharging, metabolically supercharging carbs when we do this. And so much of the food we eat is now resembling livestock feed. And just like livestock, we're getting plump awfully quickly.
1: Yes, and there's not the marketability for that with us as there is with um, the four-legged variety. I'm I'm sure you're aware of this, but I, I found it just so interesting. I ran across this study this summer with published in June, where they it was a small study, and it needs to be replicated with a more diverse group. It was just menopausal, postmenopausal women and, um, you know, more people and so on. But what they found was that the women who ate 100 grams of milk chocolate in the morning by the end of the day consumed fewer calories and had lower blood sugar. Didn't work that way. If they ate the chocolate at night, um, it's not enough food to fill them up. It must have something to do, I'm guessing, with pleasure.
3: Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I partook in some research in Germany at a clinic that deals with such a, you know, some of Germany's most, uh, you know, difficult cases of disordered eating. And I took part in what's called hedonic therapy. That's pleasure therapy. So this is not nutrition. This is pleasure. And the first thing we did was with potato chips. And Ani um, Hilbert was a scientist. She gave me two potato chips. And she said, You can't eat them. You can sniff them. You can nibble them, rub them together. And I was absolutely overcome by craving. It was painful. It was like a wave that washed over me. And what I realized, it makes you realize that there's foods that have this grip on us that, you know, we eat things like potato chips. We never really, we don't really love these foods. You'd never talk about a memorable bag of potato chips, but you start to eat them and you can't really stop. Well, then she gave me a, a, just a square of dark chocolate covering a biscuit center. And she said, just let the heat of your body melt this. And this chocolate just took me on a journey, this tiny square of chocolate. It was so incredibly satisfying. I closed my eyes and you know, it was my guide into this, this other realm of enjoyment. What is so interesting is that this scientist uses fine, fine chocolates with her patients that have binge eating disorder, when they're overcome with this desire to, to literally stuff themselves She'll say, "Just eat a fine chocolate." And what she finds is that there's so much pleasure um, literally, you know baked into these chocolates that that can that can put out this this you know bonfire of craving. And I think that's what you see in that study that it's not just about the calories that enter the body, it's also about our experience of them. What I find, you know when I'm in a situation where I have to eat fast food if I'm stuck in an airport, you barely taste it. You eat it quickly, and it's like it didn't really happen. Whereas when I eat you know, food at home that I make with my wife, if I have a steak dinner with some potatoes and a salad and a glass of red wine, that might be a high-calorie meal, but we eat it slowly. And the next morning, I'm not really hungry. So it just tells us how profoundly important the experience of eating is.
1: I, after I saw that study, I did my own experience. I only used uh, about a fourth as much chocolate, but I put it in my coffee, and, boy, I enjoy the heck out of that cup of mocha coffee. And I'm good until noon. I have to remind myself to eat brunch um, because it's so satisfying. So we, when we come back, I'm going to ask you uh, one final question. That you can sum it up. Short of moving to northern Italy, what do you recommend we do? We'll be right back with Mark Schatzker the author of The End of Craving. I crave more time today, but we don't have it.
8: Do you wake up refreshed and ready for the day? Good quality sleep is crucial for restoring your body and your brain, so we can feel alert and energetic the next day. If you struggle to get to sleep or stay asleep, you'll be glad to know about Gero Formula Sleep Optimizer. This formula combines amino acids and herbs such as GABA, tryptophan, valerian root, and hops to support the body in normalizing sleep. Stress, jet lag, and rotating work shifts are special challenges for sleep. They also benefit from Gero Formulas Optimizer's powerful yet gentle encouragement toward relaxation and healthy sleep cycles. Sleep Optimizer benefits all three stages of sleep so that you can awake rested and energized. Look for Gero Sleep Optimizer at fine health food stores nationwide. As you know, not every product is appropriate for every person. So please read label advice regarding youngsters, disease states, medication use, and pregnancy. For complete information, visit Gero.com. That's J-A-R-R-O-W dot com.
1: I'm Marty Whittakin. You may have heard the word resveratrol, and you may even know that it is the red wine molecule. However, you may not know that Longevinex is the only brand that has undergone testing of any kind, test tube, animal, or human. It's also the one with the correct potency. Trust me, more isn't always better. Internationally respected nutrition expert and formulator, Bill Sardi, wisely combined resveratrol with other beneficial components to increase its effectiveness. In fact, Longevinex delivers nine times more positive effect than plain resveratrol pills. Resveratrol is being researched for its support of an astounding variety of health issues. Please read my resveratrol article in the supplement section of the library on hbnshow.com. Order today at Longevinex.com or call 866-405-4000. Please tell them Marty sent you just in case they have a special. Longevinex.com or call 866-405-4000.
0: Sign up for podcasts or listen to past programs on our website, hbnshow.com. Hbnshow.com.
1: Mark Schatzker is a different kind of food expert. He's kind of unearthed some of the ways that our brain is trying to do the right thing for us, and between us and food technology and the government, we're sabotaging it and trying to get it to do unnatural things. Um, I thought of another example maybe of the brain's wisdom. You know if you haven't eaten all day and your blood sugar is getting really low and you arrive at a party and there's a big spread, there's a, uh, a big vegetable tray, and then there's all kinds of other foods... We are not drawn to the celery. We want something that will get our blood sugar back up quickly. That's the body telling us what it needs, right?
3: Yeah, and, and similarly, you know, if you, if you really haven't eaten a long time, you can eat a really big meal. So, so people sort of think like the, the stomach is this, you know, endless garbage can, unfillable pit. It's not true. When you start to feel full, it's because your, your your brain is getting signals that you've had enough. And that can change depending on how much you need
1: And we could probably do a whole nother show on what we're doing to our friendly bacteria and what it is they want and they're trying to help us with. Um, Note, I put a link to that chocolate study in the archive description of today's show for those that want to read more about that. So you've painted a picture for us of why they are slim and happy in Northern Italy. Uh, Short of moving there, what can we do? I'm guessing that maybe hanging out permanently at the Olive Garden isn't going to be a good substitute.
3: No, don't so. First of all, don't fool your brain. That, you know, all the stuff that's low fat, low, uh, you know, light. Don't, don't buy those foods. Buy real foods. Don't be afraid of food. Enjoy food. So I would say eat real food. That's what a lot of people say. Eat real food. But I would also say enjoy it. Make every meal an opportunity to enjoy food. Obsess about recipes. What is the best way to make this? Don't, don't be ashamed of enjoying food. Revel in it. That's how we were meant to to eat, and that's how our brain understands what we're eating. So so eat food and enjoy it.
1: Yeah, like don't do what we did last night was haul out some leftovers and just eat so that we knew we had something, but I wouldn't call it a, a gourmet adventure. Um, we'll pay yeah. more attention to And don't to eat that.
3: in front of the TV and don't eat in a car. You know, eating a meal should be something that you do with people. It's an opportunity to enjoy the gift of life.
1: Enjoy the food, look at it, savor it. And if it isn't savorable, then maybe consider that for the next meal. And, and um, I'm going to the market after this show, and I will take your advice, although I've never been much for any of these artificial foods because I don't think that makes sense as part of the original plan. Well, Mark, you've done some wonderful work. I look forward to reading the rest of the book and whatever comes after this. You're a great resource. Thanks for being with us today.
3: Thank you so much for having me. really enjoyed it.
1: And I wish we had back the four minutes we wasted at the beginning of the show with that technical problem. Thanks for being with us.
0: This is sponsored in part by Lily of the Desert Alloceuticals.